Well, good evening, church, and welcome to a look at the book. Just nice to have our weekly devotional time in the middle of the week when we can't gather. And we're in a series called What Comes to Your Mind When You Think About God? Of course, last week we introduced the subject with that great quote from A.W. Tozer when he said, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so we launched the series last week and, and picking attributes of God and relating them to our daily life and seeing what the Bible says about the God we worship. Last week, we looked at the self-existence of God. Jesus said of himself, had life in himself. Tonight, we're going to look at two more attributes of God. First, God is eternal, totally unaffected by time, past, present, or future. There's a great verse in Revelation 4, verse 8, around the throne, and John has this vision. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And, and the idea here is what separates God from all those other creatures around the throne. And they recognize it because this is what they pick when they speak of the uniqueness of God. Is you can pick any of those three tenses. Was, is, is to come. And God is totally unchanged by all of them. So push in any direction, past, present, future, push in any direction as far as you want, and God simply is. So, so he's, he's the constant. He is the unaffected I am, and that's why it's so significant that Jesus uses that I am phrase over and over again, referring to himself, one of the clearest claims to divinity. So, so God is the constant I am unaffected. It's, it's more than just a blurry philosophic consideration. Um, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God speaks through the prophet and says, I am God. There is no other. I am God. There, there is none like me. Everything else had a beginning. We studied that last week. God has no beginning. There is none like me. Verse 10. Declaring the, the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Of course he can accomplish all of his purpose because he's totally unaffected by time, past, present, or future. Think, think about us, we, the creatures, and how the, the sequence of time creates challenges, creates confusion, creates fear. We, we, we measure our days gone by. We have birthdays, milestones in different ways, but we all know what's happening we all know we're fading. We think about the future, um, but it's guesswork 
from our end of things, from our perspective, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how to plan for the future. We try so many different things. This is the difference between the creature and the creator. Moses, this prayer of Moses, Psalm 90, a prayer that Moses wrote. Psalm 91 and 2 says this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So the generations, of course, they come and go. God's there, the dwelling place, just the same. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever formed the earth and the world, from, from everlasting to everlasting, go as far as you want, you are God. Now, it's significant that this is the prayer of Moses. It says, Moses, the, the man of God. You think about Moses. If there's ever a picture of a, of a nomadic, kind of rootless life out of Egypt and through the wilderness wanderings, it's Moses. We, 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 we long for something we can pin our lives to, anchor our lives to. So, so Moses, when he thinks about God as being the dwelling place, most people, here's a couple thoughts on, on this prayer of Moses. Nomadic, wandering Moses saying, God, you're, you're the dwelling place. You're the constant. You're the anchor. You're where, you're where roots go down because you're sure and you're steadfast. So, so A, most people feel that this prayer was composed just as Moses was about to die. Think about that. Remember Moses and his, his temper episode with the rock and, and God is not going to let Moses enter the promised land. He will lead the children of Israel all those years up to the, up to the very edge of the promised land, but he won't be able to go in. So Moses, when he says, Lord, you're our dwelling place, those words bubble up from the lips of a man who, who knew frustration, who knew limitations, who knew, who knew what unfulfilled goals were, unfulfilled dreams. Moses knows that. Where do you go with that kind of life? Lord, you're our dwelling place. You're our constant hope. It's the way it is with uh, finite creatures. We're, we're all a bit like Moses. I mean, we sip around the edges of eternity. Everything about us is cut short. Frustrations come, dreams go unfulfilled, goals get unmet. Fulfillment eludes us here. It's met to, because we are met to say, Lord, you're the dwelling place. You're where our hearts find home. Teach us to trust and anchor our lives in you. So that's B. God eternal is the only safe haven from the abrasive grind of years and events on our lives. That's why in verse 12 of that prayer, Moses prays this. He says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So, so Lord, may the knowledge of your eternity, you're our dwelling place. May, may my, my knowledge of you, my hope in you, may, 
May my understanding of your eternalness, let that not be wasted on me. We, we live our lives so quickly, so frantically on the very edge of eternity and before an eternal God. And yet, and yet, despite all that, it's easy for people like me, people like you, we can go through day after day after day and not think about eternity. How foolish that is. I mean, we know it. But so many times, like Moses, his prayer, Lord, teach us to number our days. That prayer is, is a prayer that we would consider eternity, think on eternity, plan on eternity. The Christian message, the gospel, has its primary point of application to our lives. Right at this point, I've been thinking a lot about Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1, 9, and 10. Paul writes and he says, speaking of the Lord who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, who abolished death and, and brought light, life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So only, only the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into this world incarnate to die on the cross for my sins, raised for justification, ascended to the right hand of the Father, coming again. That whole gospel message, only that, Paul says, shines the spotlight on two things, life and immortality. So the, the meaning of life, what's important in life, given that everything is drifting away, fading away, given that we have so little control over the events of our lives, what is the meaning of a life like this? Well, the gospel shines the spotlight on what life is, what life is for, and immortality. You brought life and immortality to light. So, so the gospel, only the gospel, only the gospel of all the things you will watch, of all the podcasts, of all the streaming, of all the television shows, of all the books you read, only the gospel shines light, revealed light, with certainty on immortality. What happens after this life? Well, it's all guesswork without, without the light of the gospel shining on immortality. So that's, that's one attribute of God, eternal totally unaffected by time, past, present, or future. I have one more thing I want to look at quickly. So two, God is infinite in every facet of his being. Infinite. Infinite means God knows no uh, bounds. Unlike us, everything that God is and everything that God does is totally without limit. So he has separated himself from everything else in his creation. Only the creator, not the creation, is without limits. We are bound by limits in so many ways. God is not bound by any of them. It's, 
it's above our, our mind's capacity to grasp, isn't it? Like when you start thinking about infinite, your, your, your brain just kind of goes fuzzy around the edges because, because we're finite and our minds have no categories for processing those kinds of things. But let me give you some, let me give you some practical, beautiful truths about God. Infinite in every aspect of his being. What that means is this. I have A, B, and C, and then we're done. A, his power extended to my little life is infinite. I mean, the, the promises look so big. The promise about heaven, the, the, the promise of eternal life, the, the, the so many things, the needs that I bring seem so big and prayer can sometimes seem so small. My own faith can seem so weak. It's very important to remember that, that when God is infinite, it, it, it relativizes everything else. There are no big and small needs. They're, they're the same. And I know, I know there's unanswered prayer and I know there's mysteries we can't explain, but I try to hold that idea of the infiniteness of God up regularly when I bring my little life in front of him. Everything that, everything that God does on my behalf has no limit to it. B, his holiness is infinite. I think we need to think about that. See, because, because here's what happens. We get, we grow accustomed to the, the cultural darkness. Um, the culture becomes acclimatized to values that fluctuate, usually in a degrading kind of way, a lowering way. And we get used to it. So it doesn't surprise us anymore. doesn't shock us. really doesn't bother us. Even if we think something is wrong, we're not as offended by it as our grandparents would have been offended by it. We, we, our eyes get used to the dark. And it's important to remember that God is infinite in his holiness in the sense that he never does get used to sin. So, so God is still allowed to be morally offended by things that no longer offend me. That's what it means when God is infinite in his holiness. He never grows accustomed to sin and darkness. And that would be a huge problem, except for the third thing I want to say. Because God is infinite, his mercy and his grace are infinite as well. Where, where sin did abound, grace did much more. Those much more. Those are two of the most beautiful words in the Bible. His grace did much more abound. This is, this is for the person who says, I, I, don't, I don't measure up. I don't qualify. Uh, I've failed the Lord too many times. I've had every advantage and I've spurned them all along the way. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I would forgive me. And maybe maybe that's true, but God is infinite in his mercy and in his grace. Abounding sin, that's the terror of the world in face of an infinitely holy God. But abounding grace, that's the joyful promise, an infinite grace, an unending grace for those who repentantly turn to Christ and find life 
and in mortality brought to light through the gospel. We'll study more of the attributes of God. There's nothing more important to know. Let's pray. We are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your word because it is true. It is inspired. It is inerrant. And it, and, and it alone tells us the things most important for us to know. Let, let our church constantly, let our church constantly find our, our minds being renewed, not just by the print on the page, but as your Holy Spirit takes the truth of the word and, and plants it in our lives, let there be ongoing growth. Let us grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us as we study the attributes of our wonderful, creating Father God. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Can't wait till we can all be together again. Stay close to Jesus and love one another.